Wednesday evening, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to go down to Winter Bible Seminar with uh, Pastor Bruce invited me to go down with him, so I'll be down there in Tulsa part of next week, and so uh, Omega will be ministering next Wednesday night, and uh, so uh, be prepared for that. And just, uh, just a quick little testimony about a trip, as you know, we were down in Honduras over the weekend. People keep giving me a rough time that we went to Honduras for the weekend. I mean, that sounds kind of, really does sound kind of cool. Oh yeah, we just flew down there for the weekend, you know, <clears throat> but it really was for the weekend. Um, but, you know, we went up, because uh, Pastor Becky had never seen uh, Hope House, the orphanage that we have begun to support. And so Angela, the, the founder and the director of the orphanage was there and uh, she shared kind of a neat testimony. Donna will probably share it again on Sunday, but she gets up before I do on Sunday, so if I want to share anything, I've got to do it now. Uh, but uh, um, they have uh, some older kids in the school, and they have their own school, but when they get to a um, certain age, they had to send them to the public school and so forth. And their school year, um, like in January is when their school year begins, or February, whatever it is. And so it's kind of almost the opposite of, of it here. And so um, there were three of them, two, two girls and a boy that were, they were going to have to send to the public school. And, and uh, one night um, she found one of the girls and she says, this isn't, you know, like an emotional girl that is just sitting around crying and stuff all the time, but she found her crying and she asked what was wrong and she says, oh, I just, I just was hoping I wouldn't have to go to that school again because it was just absolutely horrible. And so it was really a bad experience for her. And so Angela said, well, so by faith, um, she said, I, I decided I'm, I will not put them through that. And, but well, it'll take another teacher. And so by faith, she went out and she hired another teacher. And it was that week that uh, they met with uh, uh, the Nazars and Sarah uh, informed her that we were going to uh, begin to support their ministry on a monthly basis. And she said the amount that we're supporting is almost the exact amount that she needed for the teacher that she hired. And so I said, you know, I, I said that, that just absolutely thrills me that it, it was able to be used that way. So anyway, um, so we're, we're, we've been supporting them now. This is the second month. And so, so they had this little room built uh, off of the other rooms. Let's see, Jake, you were there. Mike, you were there. Dan was there. But anyway, so in their school, they, they sectioned off one area and so they've got another classroom. So anyway, I thought that was kind of exciting. So anyway, I was glad that she shared that with me. So we're continuing our, <clears throat> our series on prayer. Now, it's, it's, I, I know you're probably thinking this is kind of a different series on prayer because up until this point and continuing tonight, we really haven't talked a whole lot about methodology in prayer. Really, what we've talked about probably more than anything else 
and which is what we're going to be talking about again tonight is is relationship um, because I, I believe that prayer isn't so much about the method as much as it is about the relationship um, you know when our children our grandchildren come to us uh, with a request it isn't about the form uh, it's about the relationship and I really believe that that's how it's to be with God. And I think oftentimes, especially when we've talk talked about prayer and so forth, that we've, we've neglected to, to really talk about the relationship element of it. And I believe that that's more important than the form. And there are different forms, and we're going to be talking about that as we go along here. Um, but I, I really do believe that the primary thing is our relationship. And so tonight... Let's um, start in John 3.16. When all else fails, go to John 3.16, because you, you can never mess up too badly by going to John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, the, emphasis, the emphasis of this verse is not the not perishing. And I oftentimes think that that's the part that we, we emphasize so often when we begin to talk about salvation. We emphasize the not perishing, the not perishing, not perishing part. But really, the, the, the important part is the everlasting life. Uh, because that's really, you know, what our relationship with Him is all about. Um, dropping down just a few verses to... Well, to the end of the chapter, the verse 36, it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on in him. Eternal life truly begins that moment that we're born again. And so what we, what we receive is everlasting life. And I think oftentimes... We look at salvation as, as fire insurance, so we don't have to go to hell. But really, the, in, the significant part, the important part of salvation, yes, that's important, but really it is, it's about everlasting life. And here where it says has, it's in, the, it's in the present tense, not the future tense. In other words, it's something that we have right now. It's to be a reality in our life. And so the reality is that, that we have everlasting life. We have eternal life right now through the completed works of Jesus. If we go over to John, the 17th chapter, and uh, the third verse, and it says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what makes up eternal life, knowing him. You know, I know we, we, we talk about a lot about knowing him, knowing who we are in Christ, uh, knowing that his graces have been made available to us, that they, they reside on the inside of us right now. But, but this is what's so important, that we we know him because when we know him, all the other blessings, uh, that's, that's how we experience it, 
It's through knowing him. It's not by having the right form or doing the right thing. It's by knowing him. And this, this word knowing, to talk about knowing God, it, it's, it's talking about being, something being intimate, something um, not just a surface thing. You know, back in, in Genesis 4, it talks about how Adam knew Eve. And, and so it's talking about intimacy, and that's how our relationship with him is to be. It's to be, it's to be intimate. It's to not just simply know about God. You know, because I believe oftentimes within the church, people know about God, but we, they don't know him. For the first 24 years of my life, you know, really even beyond that, even after I was born again, I still, a lot of my experience was knowing about God. But he didn't really know him. I knew him. But he wasn't intimate from, from the standpoint that I really knew him. You know, it's like almost 50 years ago, uh, I knew who Pastor Becky was, Becky Miller. I, and, and when we got married, I, I thought I really knew her. Let me tell you something, after 50 years, I realized on that wedding night when I said I do, I did not know. Because I've come to know her. And, and that's how it is with God. You know, and, and so even in our relationship with him as, as born-again believers, we're still, we're still learning about, we're still coming to know him. And the more that we know him and the more, the more intimate that we become with him. But it's not just simply knowing about him. You know, this is, I, I've noticed, you know, when I, when I got saved, you know, Harold Pope has been coming to our church here and it's such an honor for me that he, he's chosen to come to Abundant Life Ministries because Harold, Harold was the first Pentecostal preacher that I'd ever heard. You know, and we went to the open Bible church when it was in the old house, it's an apartment now. Um, we, we went there to hear some singers and they had this, these quartets and stuff in there. And, you know, I, I didn't even know that stuff existed. You know, I, I mean, we, we bought a, uh, an album of the Imperials when the Imperials were just simply a, a quartet. You know, they, they weren't what we, we, well, they've kind of gone back to that now. You know, but I didn't even know some of this other stuff even existed. And so then, you know, as we're born again, we begin to get this uh, contemporary Christian music, because up until that time, the only thing that I knew was hymns, you know, I mean, they're beautiful, how great thou art, and amazing grace, but I didn't know anything beyond that. And, and the thing that I noticed in the early days of the charismatic renewal, that, that a lot of the music we sang about God. And, and that, it was, it was praise, but we were singing about God. And, and I understand that the reason for that was because we didn't know very much about Him. And it helped us to understand God better, but we, we sang about God. But, but then you see the, the evolution of, of worship that we have today, that it's no longer just singing about God, it's singing to Him. It's worshiping Him, it's coming out of our hearts, you know, because it isn't just trying to figure out about Him, it's coming out of our 
intimacy is coming out of our relationship with him. You know, one of the first times that I, I can remember ever being in a worship service and really, really experiencing the presence of God was when we were still down in, in, at Bible school at CLC. We were about ready to, to finish up and we'd just come back from, from camp meeting. There were four of us that had gone over to camp meeting. We got, we got back and we had a chance to share a little bit. And after having a week like we had had that week, <clears throat> We got into worship that morning, and it was just special. I don't know if it was that we were singing different music or whatever, but it was, it was different. And, and, and literally, by the time we left that worship service, I was completely hoarse. I could hardly, I'd totally lost my voice because we were, we were singing, we were shouting, we were praising God. You know, it was like, it was like your voice after Minnesota just gets done hammering Iowa. You know, it's just, well, you know, I'm trying to keep it spiritual here. You know, but what happens, you, you lose your voice. Why? Because you're, you're screaming. And, you know, we ought to be more excited about the things of, if we've ever been lost our voice in a, in a sporting event, it ought to be a regular happening when we go to church then, on an ongoing basis. Because what we're experiencing in church, who we're, who we're looking to in churches, is so much more exciting than anything that we could ever experience on a, on a, at a sporting event. But we don't realize it because we still know about him. When we begin to have our, the intimacy with him that we, we ought to have, there's going to be such enthusiasm. I mean, it, we, we take him with us everywhere we go. But we, when we come into a, a, a setting with, with other believers and that, there's that corporate anointing and, and Miranda leads us into that place of, uh, of praise and worship, we ought, to, we ought to lose sight of everything that's going on around us. And, but, but oftentimes we're hindered because we, 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 we still are so conscious of what's going on around us because we're looking more to that than we are to him. Well, that's not part of my message, but it applies just the same because that's where, that's where intimacy takes us to those places. You know, I believe I have intimacy with my, with my children and my grandchildren. And, and I remember one, one Sunday after church, uh, Emma had come up from downstairs. She was all excited about something. I don't know what it is, but she was just excited. And you know when, when Emma gets excited, and she's just little at that time, she's so excited. She comes running up, and she's grab, grab, grab. And so I pick her up, and she starts spewing out of her everything that, that had happened, and she was so excited, and I was just paying so much attention to her, and I just wasn't even thinking. I was just focusing on her, and all of a sudden, in her excitement, gum fly, comes flying out of her mouth. And we were so in tune with one another, I just... Caught it in my own mouth. Didn't even touch the floor. But see, sorry, Philip. Ain't going to happen, brother. You're going to have to pick it up off the floor. Or just keep it in your mouth, one or the other. But see, that's the relationship that we're to have with our Father God. It's to be a relationship that is based on true intimacy. You know, I, I think that that's what the first century church had. 
you know, they, they had this, this fire. And I really believe that what we need in, in this day is we need a rekindling of the fire. And uh, that rekindling of the fire comes out of a, a, a deeper desire for the things of God. That that, that becomes the primary, the most important things in our life is, is our desire for Him. Um, who's in the White House isn't gonna change this world. Um, whether or not there's a war, that's not gonna change this world. Some peace treaty isn't gonna change things, but Jesus will. And so it's so important for us to, to realize that so that we have that excitement. Um, you know, if you've ever read um, the Book of Martyrs, you hear, you know, what, what these individuals went through. Uh, they didn't go through what they went through because of willpower. They went through what they went through because of relationship, because of the relationship that they had with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and of course, you know, we, we can't ever be fully prepared for that uh, in the natural. But we can be prepared spiritually because when we walk with Him in our relationship, when that time of crisis comes, um, we're, we're prepared for it. Uh, but we've got to know God. And we've got to know Him for who He really is. We've got to know that He's a good God a loving Father who's full of grace that has made all of His grace available to us. That if we, if we still see Him as that God in heaven that is mad at us, just waiting for us to mess up so that He can whack us a good one, um, that's going to that's hinder our, our relationship with Him. And we're not going to experience the, the intimacy that we ought to have with Him. And so we've got to know God as He really is, and there's only one way for us to come to know Him, and that's, that's through His Word. That's why His Word is so very important to us, um, because that, that's the only way that we'll, we'll ever truly know Him. I, I remember when uh, our kids were in a private school up in, Christian school up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, and we were debating whether or not uh, to put them in that school the next year. And uh, there was some friends that had somebody that was going through the same debate in their, their community. And the reason that we were doing this was um, it was a good school, um, but they were, they were opposed to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They actually you know, had spoken out in the school that uh, tongues were not of God and you know, we're tongue talkers. And so you know, our kids are tongue talkers. And so they were, and, and they were very legalistic you know, our, our kids were getting bound up with some of that. But this woman had this word. And the word was, it's better to have no image of God than a false image of God. I don't know if you've ever realized this or not, but the hardest people to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ are religious people. Because they've already formed an image of who God is. And so when you begin to pre present Jesus in his goodness and his love and his grace, they, 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 have, they have difficulty with it. 
you know, because they've, they've lived their whole life uh, believing that they've earned their salvation. And so all at once you tell them that there isn't anything you can do to earn or deserve your salvation. If you deserve anything, you deserve hell. You know, they, they have a difficult time receiving that. And, and, uh, and so you have, you have a, it's difficult to reach a religious person to show them that they need a savior. But you take a, a lost sinner, a lost person, sinners have this advantage. They, they know they're sinners. <laughs> they, they, know they, they know they're lost. Uh, they're looking for hope. And so when you come to them and you present Jesus to them, you know, more often than not, they, they may not receive it immediately, but, but they're open to it. And they'll eventually uh, come in line because all they have to do is take a look at their lives and they, they, know, they're, they know they're no good. They know they need a Savior. But religion tells us because we've done this, because we've done that, because we've done the other thing, we, we've earned it. And so, you know, I, I remember sharing with my father-in-law about Jesus because he had absolutely, here he was, he was a pillar in the church, but had absolutely no confidence, no assurance of his salvation. And so we'd gone to see him. He was in the hospital. He had prostate cancer. And, and we had determined that we were going to make sure they heard the gospel that week and when we went up there that weekend. And so we went up and, and I'd ask, I asked Harold the question. I says, do you know for sure that if you were to die or not that you'd go to heaven? And before he had an opportunity to answer, and everybody else in the room was going to answer for him. They were saying, oh, Harold, you know, you know, Harold, you grew up. And I gave him the look. You know the look. You know, the look says, shut up. You know, and so they, they were quiet. And I said, Harold, do you have the assurance of your salvation? He says, no, I do not. So here's a man, 64 years old, spent his entire life going to church, served as a treasurer of the church, all the offices of the church, had absolutely no assurance of his salvation. We prayed that afternoon, that evening, and he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and before he died, he saw the angels from heaven come to pick him up, to take him. You know, that, rather than not having confidence, he had confidence. Then I had this guy up in Wapaka, Wisconsin. He hated God. He was an atheist. He was a professing atheist. And he didn't want to hear anything about this God stuff. He was a sinner and he was completely happy being a sinner. His daughter would go to visit him and when she'd want to read a book while she was at their house. And so she'd have to take a secular magazine with her so that she could put the book inside the magazine. And if he found out, he threw it all out because he didn't allow any of it in his house. Well, he got ill and I had the opportunity to share Jesus with him as well. But you know what? It was like trying to share truth with a, a child. They're so receptive. You know, that's why the Bible says unless we receive Jesus as a child, it's, it's, it's innocent. It's just receiving it. And he, he received it. And, and one day I'd come back to, to visit him and his wife was in the room and he was quite ill at this point and his wife turned to him and says, do you know who's, who this is? And he looked up at me and he smiled and he says, yeah, he says, it's my godfather. You know, but the guy isn't spending, well, both of them 
or spend an eternity in heaven. You know, the one was able to receive because of what he knew. The other had been hindered for these many years because he'd fulfill the religious requirements. And so we need to know him intimately. And with that <clears throat> intimacy comes assurance. And when we have that assurance, you see, that's why it's, it's hard as Christians because, you know, we, we want everybody to know, don't we? Yeah. We, want, we want others to know. And, and, and even those that don't want to hear, we want them to hear. And, and so it, it should be so much a part of our life that it isn't like now I've got to fit into my evangelistic mode. That ought to be part of who we are because of our, our closeness, our intimacy with God. And knowing that we are truly, that we have truly uh, been born again and that it's his will for all to come to the knowledge of him. It's important for us to know that God thinks you're so cool he wants to hang out with you. And when we realize this, prayer ceases to be a burden. You know, it, 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 it's easy to connect with people that you know want to connect with you. You know, when we were down there in Honduras, you know, many of those family members, you know, I've, I've seen them twice. I saw them seven years ago or whatever it was when we went down to Honduras to Sarah's wedding. And then this summer we connected with some of them again uh, when we were on the mission field. And, and uh, you know what? There was, there, was, there was no effort to hook up with them because as soon as they, they saw you, the, the facial expression, you know, you wanted to embrace. And, and uh, their comment to us was, why are you here for such a short time? You know, you know usually relatives are still here. <laughs> you know, but, but no, they... they, they and, and so that's how it's to be with Jesus because you know when somebody wants to hang out with you, it's easy to communicate with them. And so it isn't about fancy words. It's about communicating with your Lord and Savior. You know, I don't, I don't you know, sometimes you just throw percentages out because it sounds good. And so that's what I'm doing here. I don't have any survey or anything, but I would guess 90% of the prayers of Christians are based on asking for things and complaining. God, why is this happening? God, why didn't you do something about this? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Rather than just communicating with him. And when we get into that place, we ask and we know that we have the requests we've asked of him because, number one, we ask in faith. We ask according to his word. Well, we do that because of the relationship that we, we have with, with him. And so he wants to have fellowship with you and I. Let's look at Psalms 103. Psalms 103. And we're going to look at the first verse. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. 
O my soul, in all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, and so, bless the Lord isn't just words that we speak. You know, again, if you're like me, I'm blessed when somebody wants to share with me. You know, I was uh, talking with somebody today, it was over the telephone, but um, this, this person just opened their heart up to me and just began to, wasn't just, wasn't complaining, was just sharing what was going on in their life. And, and after a little while, this person stopped and they said, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't, I've, I've never opened up to anybody like this. Well, I, well, that blessed me because it told me that that person trusted me. Blessing the Lord isn't just, oh, bless you, Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Lord. We go our merry way. No, we bless the Lord when we're honest with him, when we open up to him. What happens when we do that, when we're vulnerable and open with him, it allows him to pour into our lives those things that, that we need. I, I, I believe that the majority of the things that we need in our life. Now, I, I know what the scripture says, you have not because you ask not. And so I, I believe in asking. But I also believe that when we communicate with God, when we fellowship with God, when we're vulnerable with God, I believe that the majority of the needs that we have in our life are met just because we're, he already knows it. But when we communicate it with him, it opens that door for him to be able to pour out the blessing upon us. Why? Because we're blessing him. Now, if you were taught as I was taught, you know, you shouldn't really bother God with little things because you know he's really, he's really busy because he's got everybody in the whole world that he has to listen to. Well, guess what? It's not a problem for him. Do you know why? He's God. You know, he's not limited like we are. So every human being on the face of the earth could be communicating with God at the very same moment and God would not be confused. You know, if you're communicating your need for healing and somebody else is communicating a need for a horse, don't have to worry, you're not gonna get the horse. You're gonna get your healing. You know, and so that's, that's, that's the God we serve, but I think part of it is, because of our lack of intimacy with him, we don't realize how big God really is, how sufficient he really is to meet every need that we could possibly have in our life. You know, in Acts, the 13th chapter, And in the, second church, in the second verse, it's talking about how the church in Antioch, they were just ministering to the Lord. You know, I've come to this conclusion. Ministering to the Lord is just blessing Him. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
ministering unto the Lord is blessing him, being, being vulnerable, being open with him, communicating with him. But notice what it says here in the second verse. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. You know, I think the reason we don't hear what he has to say is because we don't minister to him. Because we don't minister to him, we don't get into that place where we're able to hear what he has to say to us. And he says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which uh, I have called them. And so they've already been called, and he says, now separate them unto this. But they, it doesn't appear that that's what they were asking. Are we supposed to separate these two unto you? No, they were just ministering to him, and his response was, this is what I want you to do. How it came as they praised, as they gave worship unto him. You know, <clears throat> I really, I really don't like to talk about demons, but I really do like to talk about demons because they're so defeated. But I think oftentimes in the church today, we're, we're a little bit hesitant to do that because it kind of scares people, you know, because they're not, they're, it's not something that they're familiar with. And so... We always have a tendency to take it to the extreme, but you know, I think I might have shared this with you last week, but I, I spent some time with Harold Pope last night, and, and he, he, or not last night, last week, and he was talking about some of his experiences when he was in Africa with witch doctors and so forth. And uh, as born-again Christians, we don't ever have to fear any demonic entity because... Uh, we've got the Holy Ghost, and so there's no room for demonic activity, I mean, demonic possession. You don't have to worry about that. But there's, there's demonic influences out there, and what they're constantly trying to do is to influence our life and pull us away from following after Jesus. But you know, <clears throat> and, and again, you've heard me use this passage. You know, when I was first saved, you know, uh, over and over, we, I would use the passage. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I spent so much of my life resisting the devil so that he'd flee from me. And it was a constant battle in my life resisting the devil because my focus was on the devil. And so everything that I saw going on around was the devil. And so I resisted the devil and it was, I'm no match for him. But then one day I finally read the whole verse. And the whole verse says, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And the thing that I found out is when I submit to God, the devil ceases to be a problem. Now understand what I mean when I say devil because the devil is a fallen angel. That means he can only be at one place at one time. And so we're not all dealing with him. But he's got his little imps running all over the place that are trying to torment us. But when I submit to God, when I focus on him, it closes the door to the enemy that he can have influence in my life. 
You know, when I was in Honduras, I preached on Sunday morning, and uh, I, I wanted to do something that was related to dedication because we were dedicating the building that morning. And so, you know, my, my, my main text was the text from Nehemiah that we use when we, we build our building, Nehemiah 2, 24, I think it is. You know, the God of heaven has given us success, therefore we as people will rise up and build. And, uh, and Nehemiah was going to build the wall. And the wall is, is there for protection. When I think of a fence, I think of something to keep somebody in. But when you build a wall, you build something to keep something out. Obama, in his nice little home that he's uh, renting in, in D.C., they're, they're building a wall around it. The man who's against walls. But anyway, I, I just think it's such a... Anyway, we won't go there. He's building a wall around it. Now, the wall is not to keep his daughters in. The wall is to keep intruders out. Amen? You know, a fence, I grew up on a farm, and so we had fences. The fences were to keep the livestock and everything in the particular pen or field where we want them to be. Now, walls to keep them out. Job, remember when Satan was still able to come into the presence of God and he he was bringing accusation against anybody, everybody, and he says, well, what about Job? And, and uh, God says, what about Job? And he says, well, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't he serve you? You've built the hedge around him. And so I, it, can't, it can't be penetrated. So the hedge was to keep him out. But later on we see that with Job, that which he feared the most had come upon him. And so fear, which is the opposite of faith, allowed the hedge to be broken down. Listen to me. Through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I believe we have a hedge of protection around us. The only way for that hedge to come down that the enemy can, can penetrate it is when we get our focus off of Jesus and we begin to speak in line with the world then speak in line with God's word. And so what we do is we open the door for the attack to be able to come against us. See, I believe we have protection. Submit, therefore, to God. And the enemy has no access to us. Resist the devil and he's got to flee from us. And the way that we resist him is by faith out of our relationship that we have in Jesus. You know, we always, you know, when we, when we first got a hold of faith, we thought faith was about faith. Faith is not about faith. Faith is about Jesus. Grace is not about grace. Grace is about Jesus. Peace isn't about peace. Peace is about Jesus. So you need grace in your life, that means you need Jesus in your life. You want faith in your life, that means you need Jesus in your life. You want peace in your life, that means you need Jesus in your life. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. You need the hedge of protection around you. You need Jesus in your life. And when we have Jesus in our life, the enemy cannot 
penetrate. He cannot bring destruction into our lives. Psalms 8.2, it says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. You see, who's the enemy? Who's the avenger? It's all those voices that are out there. They're the voices that are trying to tell you, you can't. When all the time, God is telling you, you can't. And, and all of a sudden, the things that we are experiencing in life, they cease to have a hold upon us anymore because Jesus has such a hold upon us in our lives. You know, I, I think about Paul. Was it Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas that were thrown into prison? Paul and Silas, yeah. And uh, it says... <clears throat> that at midnight. And so midnight is, is making reference to, in my thinking, it's making reference to the darkest hour. In other words, where, where everything appears to be hopeless, there's absolutely no way out. And we find them, and what do they do? They're not complaining, they're, they're in prison. They're not complaining, and, and the prison that they're in is a, is a dungeon. I'll guarantee you something. There was no light in there. You know, it was a dungeon. It was damp. It was dirty. They were, they were chained. They were immobile. It stunk. There was absolutely nothing appealing about their situation. But we don't have any record of them complaining. We don't have any record of them begging God to do something. What we have record of is that they began to sing praise and worship God. And they weren't doing it under their breath because the scripture says the prisoners, the others, were listening. And while they were praising God, while they were worshiping God, because I, thought, I think at that moment, they weren't even aware of their surroundings. They were aware of, of Jesus you know, because partly they were, they were thinking they were probably going to see him face to face in probably the next day. But here they are, they're in prison. Everything is the darkest hour. And people are listening. And it says the prison was shaken. And their chains fell off. Doors were opened. The jailer comes in and he's about to thrust himself through because he knew if he didn't, after he allowed people to escape, he would be executed. And one thing about the Romans, they were experts in execution. They could make it very painful and it would last long, especially if you messed up that way. And what does Paul say? Don't worry, we're still here. Weren't in a position to run. But here, for what they weren't even asking for, God poured out in their life. I don't know if any of this is making any sense to you. This is what I want you to know. Prayer, because I got to close here pretty soon. Prayer is worshiping God. 
Now, I'm not saying we're not to ask. I'm not saying we're not to make him aware of the needs that we have in our life. Because when we make him aware of those, it's making us aware more than it's making him aware because he's, con he's conscious of it. But I believe that when we, we worship him and we praise him, and that becomes so much a part of our life and our intimacy with him, is, is so close, he pours out the blessings upon us. Not because we've begged him to, but because he wants to. Because ultimately, that's what he wants to do in our life. He wants to pour out a blessing upon us to such an extent that we can't contain it. But it's as we focus upon him, as we, as we love him, and as we allow him to love, him, to love us. You know, in, in Mark, the 11th chapter, it talks about um, when Jesus spoke to the fig tree and, and how it um, gives us a picture of what would happen if we drop down to the 12th verse. And Oh, that's the problem. Didn't think that sounded right. If I get it in the right book, it might help. I know it's in the notes. I just don't like reading notes. 11th chapter, the 12th verse. Now the next day when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he could find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And so here Jesus speaks to the fig tree. But the thing that I want us to notice here, that there wasn't an immediate physical evidence that anything had happened to that tree. I believe that when he spoke to that tree, because the words that are, we speak are, are spirit and they are life, when we speak those words, I, I believe things happen in the spirit realm, if you will, immediately, but we may not see the physical immediately. But then we go down to the 21st, 20th verse, and this is the next morning, it says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roof, roots. And the point that I want us to see here is, our words are very important. And when we speak life, when we speak in line with God's word, we're going to see the manifestation of it. We may not see it immediately, but the moment that we speak those words, something is released, power is released, anointing is released in the realm of the Spirit, and, and that which we are speaking in line with God's Word is going to come to pass. It may not be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be the following day. But when we know God, we know that we're going to see the manifestation of those things. Now, now, we refer to this as the prayer of faith. 
And, and you see, I can pray the prayer of faith for myself. I can call those things that be not as though they be for myself. Now, <clears throat> I can pray for somebody else. I can intercede for somebody else, but I can't pray the prayer of faith for somebody else. Now, together, we can pray the prayer of agreement in faith, but I can't just simply say, you know, I want this for Philip, and so I claim it for him right now in Jesus' name. No, it doesn't work. That's what you get for sitting up front. That's, I guess that's why nobody sits up there anymore. You know, but, but we can do that for ourselves, and we will see the manifestation of it. And again, I go back to one of the favorite teachings that I ever heard and read of, uh, of John Osteen when Saturday's coming. And the whole point of the book is it begins on Monday morning when his daughter asks for a new dress. And he says, I can't do it till, till Saturday, but Saturday I'll take you shopping and you'll get a new dress. And all through the week, she's telling everybody, I've got a new dress. And they say, can I see it? And he said, well, Saturday it's coming. She had confidence. It was as if she already had it, even though in the natural, she didn't have it yet. That's how we need to be with the promises of God. And that's what the prayer of faith is. And that's what we have the right to claim. And so it's in our communication. And that's why the prayer of faith, when we say, Father, I need healing in my life. And so I claim that by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed and I thank you for it. And so in our, in our communication with him then, not just set inside a time, say, Father, I prayed for, for healing and so I'm claiming it and so I'm thanking you for it. No, in our, in our fellowship with him, that's a part of our fellowship. Father, I thank you that healing belongs to me because of the completed works of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that I am healed, that redemption in every area of my life, it belongs to me, and so I thank you for it. I praise and I give you glory because of who you are, because you are God, because ultimately, that's why we worship him. It's not because of what we get, it's because of who he is. And when we get who he is, We get what he's got. And what he's got is whatever you need in your life. Whether it be spiritual, physical, financial, social, whatever it is in your life, relational, he's the answer. He's the provider. He's the all in all. Well, about 20 minutes ago, I lost my place and I never ever find it again, but uh, praise the Lord. That's the problem with notes. Hallelujah. So God's good, isn't he? Amen. And so, uh, you know, I have a blessed rest of the week and we'll see you Sunday morning. I don't leave till Monday morning. So be blessed. You're excused in Jesus' name. Amen.